0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome uh, to you all. Welcome, if you've come here for the first time, to our fellowship. Um, When we have a time of worship, we want to worship the Lord. And um, we have now this time of hearing the Word, hearing the Word of God. And um, my prayer is that if you've come this morning, that you've come with a heart that is opened enough to listen to God's Word and to receive what the Lord has to tell you. Isn't that a pretty amazing thought, that God is actually with us in the midst of us and he is looking at you right now saying, you know what, I'd like to tell you something this morning. an amazing thought to think, I'd like to share something, something with you this morning. And the response would be, Lord, what do you want to say? You actually want to tell me something? I'm actually important enough for you to tell me something. I'm significant enough for you to tell me something. Yeah, of course you are. I made you. I created you. I want to tell you something. I want to share something with you that is going to make your life completely different. It's going to better your life. It's going to um, t- transform the way you think, transform the way you live. I think, oh, that is really amazing grace. For those of you who have been Christians long enough... The more I think you understand God, the more you understand how amazing His grace is. Sometimes when you first become a christian it 's kind of like yeah i 'm a christian and and almost almost like you 've been entitled almost like a sense of entitlement, yes,, I believed, and, and the Lord saved me because that 's what he said he 'll do and there 's sort of almost a temptation to feel like a bit entitled to the whole thing. but the more you really grow in faith, I tell you the truth, the more you really grow in faith, the more you realize more and more how undeserving you are how unworthy you are and how much his grace is so amazing that you are in so desperate need of his mercy all the time when christians grow like this there is this power and this strength that causes great unity amongst the church and the believers that nothing penetrates that there is great unity and strength that nothing penetrates because we all see ourselves as undeserving and unworthy. How do, you, how do you pick a fight with someone who sees themselves undeserving and unworthy? How do you hold a fight with someone who sees themselves unworthy and undeserving? And that you, you say something to them, you, 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 you um, discredit them in some way, you put them down in some way, and they're thinking to themselves, you know what, you're absolutely right. If it wasn't for the grace of God, that's, you, you're describing me perfectly. And it's almost impossible then to have this wrestle because... There is great humility. And I want us, before we pray, I want us just to have that last song up on the, on the board. That's okay, the last, the, just the chorus of that song. And look, at this is amazing grace. This is why we, say, we sing, this is amazing grace. And this is unfailing love. Let me tell you, I'm going to ask you something. If, you were, if God said to you, okay, I'm going to give you grace and I'm going to love you up to a certain amount, and, and then that's it after that. How many of us would have run out by now? So this is amazing grace, this is unfailing love, that you're going to take my place, that you bear my cross, that you would bear my cross, that you would actually say, you know what, you, you have to die, but I'm going to do something to not allow you to die, I'm going to do something to allow you to live, and I'll die in your place. I'll die in your place. Now for Christians, who've been Christians for a long time, that phrase can become watered down to the point where you think it it doesn't penetrate anymore. It doesn't impact anymore. But he would take your place. That means you stood before the judge and you were guilty like anything. Guilty. You did it. There's no doubt whatsoever. And then Jesus steps in and says, I know know he's guilty. I know he's guilty. I know he did what he did. But I'm going to take his place. And you walk away a free man. Sometimes I wonder to myself, what did Barabbas do after Jesus set him free? What did Barabbas do after Pilate said, okay, we're releasing Barabbas, and you're going to crucify Jesus? I wonder what he did. I'd love to know. I wish the Bible had told us a bit more about the life of Barabbas after Jesus was sentenced to death, and by the custom of the day, Barabbas was set free. Was he a reformed man? Did he become a Christian? Did he love the Lord? Did he uh, go off and tell everyone how Jesus literally died in his place? Be fascinating to hear. One day in heaven, we'll ask him if he, if he continued on in the Lord. Um, that you would lay down your life that, that I would be set free, that I would be set free, that all of a sudden I know the freedom that Jesus gives us. You know, lots of people I think come to church, and one of the greatest testimonies people give when they become Christians, the, one of the greatest testimonies is how Jesus begins to break the bondage of sin. If that's not your testimony as a Christian, you've been a Christian for many years, if that's not your testimony that Jesus is breaking the bondage of sin, then I would say to you, you need to really think seriously about where your faith is at. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he died to set you free. And this is why we sing. We sing for all that you've done for me. And this is the amazing grace. This is unfailing love. And I want to share some thoughts about this amazing grace this morning and this unfailing love. I want to share based on a verse in Corinthians that I'll share with you shortly. And next week, Brother Harb is going to continue on the series on prayer, on the Lord's Prayer, which I'm sure will continue to enrich and build our lives uh, when it comes to our prayer, our prayer to the Father who is in heaven. But This morning, I want to share this, this brief verse with you. So let's pray. Let's pray together. Our loving Father, we thank you so much for this amazing grace. We thank you so much, Lord God, for this unfailing love. Lord, every time I think, Lord, I I don't know if we completely understand just the depth of this mercy, the depth of this love, the depth of this grace, that you would come to set us free. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for sending your spirit into our lives, Lord God, to do a work that we could not do ourselves. And Father, thank you for making it very clear all the expectations that you have for us in this world. So Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak your word into the lives of those that are here this morning and that you would speak with power and great grace and great love because Father, it's about you and it's about your son. And we thank you, Father, for this and we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Um, if we can open our Bibles to First Corinthians chapter two, First Corinthians, in chapter two, I want to share with you uh, a couple of verses, but then I also want to share with you from chapter one as well, because it will give us a bit of a, a bit of a background to what the Apostle Paul is saying in this uh, in this passage. So, 1 Corinthians chapter two in the New Testament, and um, before I do that, I, want to, I wanted to share with you a, a very simple phrase. We've, we sort of use phrases a lot in our lives when we talk to one another. We, we, we talk about things in different ways. And one of the phrases I'm sure you've heard before is this concept, this idea of your comfort zone. Have you heard that before? People talk about your comfort zone. What is your comfort zone? Um, And this idea of a comfort zone is really interesting because what we're basically saying is that we all live in a way where we kind of set this invisible line around the kinds of things that we're comfortable with. The kinds of things that we're comfortable with doing, the kinds of things we're comfortable with saying, the kinds of places we're comfortable going, and we kind of draw this, this kind of invisible comfort line based on probably experience, knowledge, understanding, all those sorts of things, this comfort zone around us, this line around us, so that if we get to the edge of that line, all of a sudden we're feeling like we've got to kind of get out a little bit, it gets really uncomfortable, Yeah. So much so that when people actually then talk to us or when we're in situations like this, the phrase is often "Well, you know, you need to sort of get out of your comfort zone sometimes. You need to step out of your comfort zone sometimes because because it means you're being stretched, you're being challenged, you're being really changed because you're getting out of your comfort zone. And sometimes it feels like the most scariest thing in the world, but often it's actually very good for us. If what we're stepping out into is good things, it's actually very good for us because what it's actually doing is it's stretching us. And particularly when we talk about Christian things, it's stretching our faith or it's stretching us. Um, often we can think about stretching us professionally or socially, but when it comes to the Christian faith, it's stretching us. And so often at the start, we don't want to kind of step into that other area because it's really uncomfortable. But unless you do that, brothers and sisters, you'll never see the glory of God. You'll never see the glory of God. If you stayed in your comfort zone all the time, you'll never see the power of God. You'll never see the transforming work of Christ. You'll never as long as you're prepared to be challenged and changed and all those sorts of things, you're never really gonna get out into where God really wants you to be. So you might stay in your little comfort cage, but you never be liberated you never be liberated. So this morning you may be challenged to get out of your comfort zone, but that's okay because what God is saying is I want you to do that because I want you to experience everything that I sent my son for. I want you to know the great love and amazing grace, the unfading love that the Lord Jesus Christ came to give you. So as a church, and just a little side note as a church, when we, um, when we have things on as a church, the more you come along to fellowship, the more you come along to church, sometimes you'll hear about certain things that are happening, certain things that are on, and, and often the temptation is to sit there and say, "Ah, oh, maybe not. That's the temptation. And if you're new to this church, don't worry about what I'm going to say in the next few minutes, you, know, you can just block your ears if you want, it doesn't matter. If you want to hear, you can hear but you know, sometimes when you're in this church for a long time, you can start to think, oh, you know, yeah, maybe. And I think to myself, ah, oh, what's going on there? Are people just sitting in a comfort zone? Are people sitting in, a, in an area where they'll do church on their terms? They'll do church defined in their way? Because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we become part of a fellowship, so much so that we give of ourselves as much as is necessary for the well-being of other people. So when we get when we throw out an invitation to you and we say, Oh, look, you know, there's prayer at ten o'clock in the morning before church, that's an invitation not to stay in your comfort zone. That's an invitation to challenge. Yeah, it's not like an invitation like, come, don't come, my apologies, I couldn't make it this morning. It's an invitation to challenge. Because that's, that's the fellowship. Or if we throw out an invitation to have communion before church, we break bread. That's an invitation because it's an obedience to the word of God. It's an obedience to the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or if we throw out an invitation to you and we say, you know what, in six weeks there is church camp. Wow. Your heart should jump for joy. But there's a comfort zone. See, there's a comfort zone. We say to ourselves, oh, it's not, comfort. I'm not Not really what I like to do. But I want to challenge you. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. There's forms there to pick up. You've got to get out of your comfort zone because this is what the church does for the edification, the building up of, of the church. This is what the fellowship is about. And for those of you to be here long enough, really, when we throw out an invitation, You'll, un- you'll understand what I'm saying when I say this. When we throw out an invitation, really what we're throwing out is an expectation. And so this is where we get out of this comfort zone we come, we fellowship, and we, 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 be, we participate in the things that are going to build the church. See when the apostle Paul defined the church, he defined it beautifully. And when he wrote to the Corinthians, what he was actually what we're about to read is something he wrote to define beautifully the church. When we say to ourselves, how does we define the church? How do we define each ourselves? What's our identity? The apostle Paul beautifully defined it. And if I ask you, if I was to ask you this morning, what do you want to get most out of your life? What is it that you want most from your life? as a Christian? What is it that you want most from your faith as a Christian? How would you answer that question? What do I want most, Lord? If I could have one thing, what would I want most, Lord? The Apostle Paul answers it for us here. He defines it for us. He explains it for us in the most beautiful, succinct way. He, he wants us to understand something of the Christian faith. So let's read what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Wow. Whoa. Look at this verse. He's just just defined Christianity for us. He's just given, if you, you could argue, he's given the mission statement of every church. He said, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech. I didn't come to you with like some man that was eloquent, able to articulate everything and sermonize my notes and give you something beautiful, with three, four points that you can take away and add to your knowledge. He said, I didn't come like that. I came to you Demonstrating the power of God because you know, because He says, You know what? I want to know among you, I want to know nothing else. Don't tell me anything else about you as a church, don't tell me anything else other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Wow! So, when I ask the question, How do you? What do you want most from your life and what do you want most from your faith? What do we want most from our life and our faith? Perhaps that's actually the wrong question. Perhaps the question is this. What does God want most from your life and from our faith? We're so used to thinking always about what do I want? What do I want to do? Where do I want to go? Where do I want to work? Who do I want to marry? We're always thinking so much. We're not, it, it doesn't take much effort to think like that. But imagine if we stopped and we turned this around and we said, God, okay, Who, out of whose goodness do I breathe today? Out of the goodness of God. Out of whose goodness do I have life today? Out of the goodness of God. Okay, so let me stop for a moment and think this. God, what do you want from my life and my faith? And our comfort zone keeps us doing things like this, keeps us sleeping in. Because, you know, I'm tired. Keeps us away from church on a Sunday because it's my day. It's my day. You know, I've got to recoup before the Monday. Imagine if we ask that question, God, what do you want? And, and then he defines it. He tells us here. He says, beautifully, okay, I'll tell you what I want. I want, I want Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what I want. And this all of a sudden begins to define the church and it begins to define our lives. All of a sudden this becomes our identity and the identity of the church. Jesus Christ and him crucified. So when we leave this earth and people look back and they think, oh, this church, oh, they were the church that was all about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Wow, yes, the church and him crucified. Yes, I'd be happy with that. And so you'd be happy as well too. So if someone said to me, what's the mission statement of your church? I'd comfortably say, oh, it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. Oh, what's your perspective as a church? Jesus Christ and him crucified. What's your goal as a church? Jesus Christ and him crucified. What's your ambition for the people of your church? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because Paul said, I don't want to know anything else. It's pretty powerful. I don't want to know anything else. Oh, Paul, let's talk about church. I don't want anything else. Jesus Christ and him crucified. The building, is it going to somehow help me understand Jesus Christ and him crucified? Then tell me about it. The people, what they're doing in their ministries, if it's got something to do with Jesus Christ and him crucified, then tell me about it. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. So what's he saying? He talks about this because he wants us to understand something of the crucified Christ. I believe one of the reasons why this is really helpful is because I don't know if I'll offend anyone by saying this, maybe I will, maybe for some it would be a reality check, maybe for some of you be like, oh, man, I knew that ages ago, but you know by nature, by nature we're actually very selfish, proud people, Yeah, you know, by nature, it just, it's easy, you just tell, you have an argument with someone, all of a sudden you want to win the argument, you want to win the argument. You know, you have a choice between this and this, and you really want this, you'll push your way to get what you want. Kids do it all the time. This channel, that channel. You know, it's, it's by nature, we're very proud and very selfish. So why would you think human nature would not bring this into the Christian faith? Why would you think that people even assume somehow that their own salvation is based somehow on their own ability and their own knowledge? That God is so pleased with them because of all the things they're doing and all the things they understand. He says, You know what? I want to tell you something. You are proud and you are selfish. Because when's the last time you had an argument with someone and you prepared to stop that argument and say, You know, what? I'm sorry? Before it even escalated. Because the Bible says that a soft word turns away anger. It was really interesting yesterday, something very fascinating happened, how God prepared me very, very well. I get these daily notifications on my phone every couple of, couple of times a day, a verse pops up on my phone. I like to listen and just little things trigger. And yesterday, the, the, the notification popped up, a soft anger turns away, wrath. Thought, oh, okay, that's, that's a really beautiful verse. Moments later, moments later, I got into this confrontation with someone. And guess what verse came to my mind straight away? So I I did not fall for the temptation. I rather submitted to the word of God. And it came out the way I expected, to God's glory. There was no escalation of the problem. There was no massive confrontation, but rather peaceful conversation. But boy, I could have. I could have and not given glory to God. And so this is Christ and him crucified. you get it? That's what the Apostle Paul wanted to know. Are you demonstrating Jesus Christ and him crucified everywhere in your life, everywhere in your relationships, everywhere in your marriages, everywhere in your friendships, everywhere in your workplaces? Does does the Apostle Paul see Jesus Christ and him crucified in our lives? You say, oh, it's too hard. No, it's not too hard because this is the mission of the church. And when we do that, we show Jesus Christ among us and we show Jesus Christ out there abroad to the people around us. So by nature, we're very selfish, proud people. But what this is doing, when we reflect on the cross, we reflect on something that, yes, does bring great freedom and great hope, sometimes through great suffering, so that we can come to know the beauty and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me take you back for a moment to a verse earlier in chapter 1. Look at verse, and I'm going to just make reference to chapter 1 because it's going to give you a bit of a context to what the Apostle Paul is saying in chapter 2, verse 2. In chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are also being saved, it is the power of God. <laughs> Look at that. When we think about the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins so that we could find favour with God and freedom from sin, yeah, you understand that, yeah? Can I just simplify that for you again? When we think of the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross, if I can simplify that for you, favour with God, freedom from sin. That's what we see. That's what we see. He says, when we preach this message, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. They look at it and they think, What? You're trying to tell me that a man dying on the cross is going to somehow break my addiction. Get out of here! It's stupidity. Yes, yes, it will. You're trying to tell me it's going to restore my marriage. Someone who's dying on a cross, weak, bleeding, two thousand years ago. Yes, it will restore your marriage. He will. Get out, it's foolishness. I don't want to hear this rubbish that you have to tell me about Christianity and some man who's weakly, pathetically hanging on this piece of wood. But to those who believe and are hungry, you know know what I'm saying. It is the power of God. It is the power of God. So it's foolish because man is proud. I'll do it my way, the great Frank Sinatra. I'll do it my way. I don't need this, I'll, do my, I'll work out my problem, I'll break my addiction, I'll restore my marriage. Go, fantastic, do it. And if you work it out, come and tell me, it's fantastic. But tell you what, just in case you can't, Jesus Christ and him crucified is the answer. And so the Lord Jesus Christ um, sometimes has to reveal to ourselves just how weak we are so we can see just how strong he is. Isn't that great? It doesn't feel good, but it's good. It doesn't feel good. The enemy is very clever because the enemy has very sharp arrows. He has very sharp arrows, and he's just aiming ready. Do you sometimes feel like that? You go, oh, come on, another arrow? Like you've got these arrows, and he's bang, bang, waiting. And, and we have to take up the shield of faith, the Bible says. We take up the shield of faith. But sometimes we act like the devil could use anything. <laughs> against us you ever seen those um, uh, toy guns that kids play with they got like the rubber pallets sort of bullets and they, so the suctions at the end and they just you, you, against the wall and they just suck to the wall you know it's like the devil's using those. It's like poop, oh all of a sudden I'm melting having a meltdown whereas what he should be using is arrows sharp piercing ready that's what he should be looking at because he think, boy how am I going to get through to this guy How am I going to get through this woman? Get my sharpest arrow out and shoot. But how many times do you think, oh, him, let's get my rubber gun. And then we'd have this meltdown. No, this is amazing grace so that God builds us up to a place where we no longer depend on our own strength, but we depend on the strength of the Lord. We're depending on his uh, power in us. But, but, beloved, God doesn't want you to live in an unforgiven state. That's just not right. And nor does he want you to live in the bondage of chains, You know the, the, the things that bring you down. That's not how he wants you to live. He wants you to be free. So Jesus Christ and him crucified is, um, is the answer. Look what he says in verse 22 of chapter 1. He says, For the Jews request the sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's wonderful. Because the Jews we know through the scriptures, we know the Jews sought after a sign. Um, A classic example, Jesus hanging on the cross and they say, "Oh, come down and we'll believe in you. Yeah, that's just was their that was their culture, that was their custom. You know, show us something. What? A man dying on a cross? <sighs> it's not a sign. That's like, I don't know what you call that. And then the Greeks, the Greeks they were sought after wisdom. They took a lot of pride in knowing a lot. Working it out, wrestling it, making sure that they understood things. And all of a sudden you look at. Oh, I, tell you, I give you great wisdom. I tell you something really amazing. Um, Jesus died on the cross for your sins to set you free and find favor with God. Now you look at me. What? Uh, let's go back to our Wikipedia. And let's go back to our Google because and let's go back to our, because this is, this is wisdom. This is somehow wisdom. What you're trying to tell me that if I trust in Jesus and I put my faith in him, that somehow this broken relationship is going to be restored. You're saying to me, I don't need to go to all these seminars and all these resources and all these books, I can actually put my trust. Yeah. This is Christ, the wisdom. And the power of God. Because when man looks at that, and God's weakness then becomes more powerful than man's wisdom, and God, if there's such a thing as God's foolishness, it becomes wiser than God's wisdom. It's like this Imagine if there were a group of people, give you a good example, a group of people stranded in the middle of the sea on this little rubber dinghy. And they're thinking to themselves, How in the world are we going to get ourselves out of here? And imagine if I was able to see them from a bird's eye view. And I had had this ability to see them. And I looked around and I thought to myself, they're not getting out of this. I can see what's around them. I I can see where the nearest coastline is. I can see what's underneath them, swimming around them. I'm thinking, they're gone. They're not getting out of this. But imagine I had the ability to listen to them. And I heard them saying something like this The first person says to another person, I've got an idea. I know how we're going to get ourselves out of this. Why don't we somehow um, gather as much seaweed as we can from underneath, tie it up, dry it off, uh, somehow uh, cling it to something that's a bit hard and maybe we can slingshot our way out of the sea. And the other person's saying, whoa, what what a fantastic idea. Yes, let's do that. I think you've got it. I think you've nailed salvation. And I'm looking at them thinking, are you serious? Are you serious? You serious? You're gonna I I, I see what's you're not gonna do that. But they think their wisdom's so good. They're inspired by their wisdom. And then another person says, No, 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 hang on, let's not do that. I've got a better idea. Why don't we try and um, locate some really those really bright colourful fish here? Let's grab them and at night time we'll throw them in the air and we'll attract some attention. And the other person's saying, smarter, even better, we've evolved. We've worked out even better how to save ourselves. And I'm looking at them thinking, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. Because this is man's wisdom when he tries to save himself. When you try and find satisfaction, salvation, power, wisdom, strength, apart from Jesus, God looks and thinks, what are you doing? You want to know the power of salvation? If you really want to know the freedom from sin, if you really want to know to break what it means to break the bondage of sin, come to Jesus and his cross and you'll find it. So man knows that we're proud by nature. He knows we're selfish by nature. And he knows he, he has to bring something in our path to humble us. And he says it's Christ in him crucified. Get off your high horse. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Humble yourself and experience the power of God that he wants to fill your life with. Humble yourself. People don't like to hear that. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. As the Paul is saying, so so much so that in verse, um, oh, sorry, verse thirty-one, the Bible says that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Wow! So when you've experienced all this, guess what happens afterwards? You know what it means when you glory. You say, you know what? I can't glory in myself. I can't glory in my abilities. I can't glory in my wisdom. I can't glory in my achievements. All I can glory in, really, at the end of the day, is Christ and Him crucified. I glory in the Lord, beloved. When God humbles us in this way, it's not to be humbled. Is not to be humiliated. Do you understand that? You got really got to understand because the devil plays with our minds. To be humbled is not to be humiliated. To be humbled is to be liberated. Do you understand? It's to be liberated. When you can humbly say sorry to someone, when you can humbly before God say, God, I can't do this, when you humbly uh, don't react to something and you rather respond, these things liberate you. They liberate you. They don't humiliate you. And the cross, that's what the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ does. And that's why Paul says, you know, that's all I want to know among you, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because the cross of Christ, beloved, is always associated with Jesus did you know Jesus Christ didn't just, hang on the, didn't just carry his cross on the cross? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ carried his cross all his life? Did you know that? He did what you did. He carried his cross every day. He carried his cross every day. To associate Jesus Christ with just the cross hanging on the cross is not right. We see Jesus Christ carrying his cross every day. And to only associate the cross with Jesus is not right because the cross is also associated very closely with the Christian Do you understand? It's inseparable with the Christian because it's the means, listen carefully, very, very important point, because it is the means, listen, the cross is the means of obtaining Christ and him crucified. All these things that I've been speaking about. That's why the Bible is rich in explaining the cross in the life of the Christian. It's very rich and it's very clear. Let me give you some examples. Oh, actually, before I do that, let me, let me clarify some misconception about the cross. You know, people sometimes say, I've got to carry my cross. Do you know what they sometimes refer to? They, they refer to some kind of bad experience. Have you heard people say that before? Well, what am I going to do? I've just got to carry my cross. Well, firstly, the way you're saying it is not right, because that's not carrying your cross. But I've got to carry my cross. Like, like as if they, um, let me give you an example. Like, it's a job they don't like. Oh, I've just got to carry my cross. Or a partner that they're frustrated with. Oh, I've got to carry my cross. You know. Or a health ailment, some sort of health problem, I've got to carry my cross. And, and what they, they're misunderstanding the idea of carrying that's not carrying your cross. It may involve this, but that's not what it is. When you carry your cross, beloved, what you're doing is you're saying, Oh, you know what? I am choosing by faith, I'm choosing to die to who I am, so Christ can live in me completely my whole attitude, my whole life, my whole footsteps, everywhere I go, everything I do, every way I act, react, everything, everything, it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. That's carrying my cross. So if it involves a health problem or a difficult partner or an uncomfortable job, yeah, I'll carry it because, you know what, I'm trusting God so I don't become frustrated, angry, annoyed, then I'm carrying my cross. The Bible beautifully describes it. It talks about a few things. It says here, Jesus said, for example, it actually determines firstly how we live. Jesus said you've got to carry it daily. Do you like that? Not when you're feeling really good, things are going really well. He says you've got to carry it daily. He says unless you pick up your cross daily and follow me, you're not worthy of me. Wow. Daily. You mean today when I step out of here and someone tries to say something to me that upsets me and I think, I'm going to carry my cross. I'm going to love that person. I'm going to love that person. He says, if you don't do this, you're not worthy of me. He says, the Bible also, the Bible also says um, that it is a cross The Bible says, and those who have a Christ, Galatians 5, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The cross, when we, as Christians, we have passions and lusts and desires that fight against God. There are passions, lusts and desires that are healthy. Yeah, that's okay. But then there are passions, lusts and desires that fight against God. They're the ones that say, you know what? I'll do it this way. I'll have this. I want this. And they're all offensive to God. And the Bible says, you know what? The cross crucifies the flesh with its passions and its lusts. It determines how we live, beloved. It determines how we live. Not only does the cross determine how we live, but it also... It also defines how we live. Listen to this in Galatians 6. For God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Isn't that amazing verse? Paul, the apostle Paul, is saying to the church at Galatians, You know what? I'm not going to boast about anything else. Sounds similar, doesn't it? I don't want to know anything else christ and him crucified i don't want to boast about anything else but the cross of the lord jesus christ because let me tell you why because by this cross the world is dead to me and i am dead to the world when the world wants me to do something think something act something believe something go somewhere that's contrary to the word of god no the world is dead to me and i to the world if you're a christian and you want to be genuine about your faith this is how you live it's not a choice, not an invitation, choose yes or no. It's a command, it's a demand of the Christian. Because you want to know Christ and him crucified among you. The world is dead to me and I'm dead to the world. I'm more interested not in the philosophy of this world, not the behavior of this world, not the attitudes of this world, not the actions of this world. I'm interested in living Christ and him crucified. And that's, how, that's what defines us. That's our identity. It also decides how we live, beloved. I quoted it before Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So much so that people would say to you, there is something different about you. And you know that that's different in you is Christ who lives in you. Because you have surrendered your life over in obedience to the word of God. And what you want is everything that you do, word, deed, thought, you want that to be dictated and defined and determined and decided by the word of God, by the word of God. And so his word dwells in you richly because Jesus Christ dwells in us richly. So when the Apostle Paul says, you know what, I want to know Christ and him crucified, that's exactly what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying. When people ask us, well, how do you define yourself? or well, Jesus Christ and him crucified. So I want you to consider this. I want you to consider this. Next time the weight of sin comes your way and you think to yourself, oh, man, I can't keep doing this. Sin is too heavy for me. I just keep mucking up. Yeah? I want you to think this. This is where Jesus Christ and him crucified becomes your power. That all of a sudden, you take your eyes off what you can do, your ability, the foolishness of man, and into what he's able to do in you as you cling closely to the work of the cross and watch the power of God. Next time you want to glory as an individual in your achievements, as if somehow you've done really good things and your resume is looking good as a Christian. Like the Apostle Paul earlier in that chapter, he says, you know, I didn't baptise anyone except so-and-so-and-so. I didn't, I didn't come to baptise. He goes, next time, you want to, uh, next time you want to glory in your own individual achievements or next time we want to glory in our own church achievements, let's remember something. No. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's my identity. I can glory in what God is doing, but I'm certainly not glorying in my achievements. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Next time you're waiting for someone or something to satisfy you, if I just have this, oh, i be so happy. If I just have her, oh, i be so happy. Next time you're waiting for something or someone to satisfy you, remember this, as a Christian, Jesus Christ and him crucified is your all in all. Find your satisfaction in him and then become the blessing to that other person. Next time something else, whether temporary or earthly, becomes your motivation, this is what's going to motivate me, the ability to do this or the ability to do that. Remember this. It's Jesus Christ in him crucified. The Apostle Paul says in Acts 17, in him we, we live, we move, we have our being. You understand that? That's our motivation. In him we live, we move, and we just have our being. In other words, everything about your life is about him. Oh no, oh yes. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the definition of the Christian. That's the definition of the church. Don't glory in your achievements. Don't be motivated by some external factor that, you know, if I come to church, everyone's going to see me and say, whoa, he came to church. No, it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. Your your greatest motivation is him and him alone. When your daily pursuit, beloved, When your daily purpose in life doesn't become the kingdom, it's become something else, then remember Jesus Christ and him crucified. When you get up in the morning and you think to yourself, yep, off to work, and that's all you think about, then you haven't understood Jesus Christ and him crucified. When you get up in the afternoon and you're saying, oh, I've got to go do grocery shopping, you know, I've got to do grocery shopping, you're not thinking Jesus Christ and him crucified, when you've got to drive somewhere a long distance to take someone somewhere and come back and you think to yourself, oh, man, you're not thinking Jesus Christ and him crucified because, beloved, at the end of the day, you live and move and have your being in him. So listen to this. When you go to work, you might be going to work thinking you're going to do something or send an email or, or, or you know, sign a deal off or whatever it might be. You're Why don't you think to yourself, okay, I think I'm here for this. Listen. Why don't I start thinking to yourself, but what does God have me here for? I think I'm going to do grocery shopping. But why has God got me in Coles? I think I have a hospital appointment tomorrow. But why has God got me at the Royal Melbourne? Do you understand? Because all of a sudden we live and we breathe, we have our being in Him because it's Christ and Him crucified. It's Christ and Him crucified. And understanding this begins to transform the way we live because it's not about you. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness it 's amazing if I could share with you times when I've just prayed lord i 'm here today, but why have you got me here today and then then a door will open you know it 's not, not unusual for a door to open there 's been times that 's happened and just think, ah, now I know why i 'm here i 'm not saying all the time. I'm not saying all the time, but that willing heart to say lord i, I 'm here for this purpose, but why have you got me? Why have you got me here? Christ and him crucified the next time, beloved, you want to In a situation where you want to act impatiently or um, get offended or proud, just remember Christ and him crucified. This becomes our definition. This becomes the definition of the church. This becomes the definition of the Christian. This becomes the definition of our lives. When we humbly come before the Lord and say, Lord, you know what? All my ability and all my effort cannot find favor nor freedom in you until I come to the cross humbly and say, Lord, what you did on the cross and the way you lived, your character and the cross is my everything. And all of a sudden it begins to transform my life because I humbly by faith embrace the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, it's difficult. As we push through, we will more and more see the glory of God. So then we come but we look back and think, Wow, I can't glory me, but glory in what God's doing in me. Amen. Let me pray for you guys. Our loving Father, what can I say, Lord God? Just like the Apostle Paul um, didn't come with eloquence, Lord, I just um, pray that by the power of your Spirit, you may just speak into our lives, reminding us that whether it's the weight of sin or whether some, some wrong motivation in life or whether it's a whole completely different and wrong mindset, Lord, I just pray that in the name of Jesus, we come back to the very simple definition of what it means to be Christian. And that we would understand and live Christ in him crucified. That everything about who you were, Jesus, everything you taught, everything you believed, everything you practiced, and the most powerful work of the cross, become my everything, Lord. Father, establish us, Lord, as we, as we put these into practice. Remind us, And pour out your grace and your mercy upon us, Lord. And continue to work in this church and in our lives that we may be faithful and true to what you call us to, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.